Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Sixer Sense Podcast, hosted by co-site experts, Lucas Johnson and Christopher Klein. Welcome everybody back. I'm Lucas. I got Chris here, Uri. It's Valentine's Day, so hopefully you guys are uh, have a special somebody that you're spending with uh, it with, and you're listening to this the next morning. But we got a very special guest tonight, and I'm going to let Uri introduce her because she is probably one of the biggest names that we've ever had on here. So Uri, go ahead, take it away. Yeah, absolutely. So welcome everybody. Happy Valentine's Day. We're spending it with each other here on the podcast. But right now, we are in for a treat. We have with us tonight, we have the co-founder of Fanfare Media. We have a film student at the acclaimed NYU Film School. She's the director of the recently released documentary about the origin of our beloved 76ers theme song, Here Come the Sixers, How an Old Song Taught a New Generation to Trust the Process. Ladies and gentlemen, we would like to welcome Karen Morey. Hey, Karen. Hi, guys. Excited to be here. My first podcast. First time. Hey, we're going to be extra nice to you. And and listen, that documentary, if you haven't seen Karen's documentary, you got to go to YouTube. I'll make sure it gets in the link when we post it. But this documentary really breaks down the origin and where it came from. You know, this is the song, Karen, that, as you know, it gets played at the end of every Sixers victory. It's been around for a long time, and we're just really happy to have you on here. I'm super excited to talk about this. Yeah, and again, Karen, we're really excited to have you, so thanks for coming on. And we're just going to jump right in to your documentary again, as Uriah said. It's titled, Here Come the Sixers, How an Old Song Taught a New Generation to Trust the Process. And just what was your inspiration behind that documentary? What kind of pulled you towards the subject and, and what got you started there? So kind of what got me into documentary as a whole was my freshman year at NYU. I worked on a documentary called From Six Man to MVP, which was about the James Harden trade and kind of how he went from a six man with the Thunder to an MVP on the Rockets. And that really made me fall in love with the form And then when we were coming to Philadelphia in late December, I tweeted out if there were any interesting Sixers topics that the fans thought would be interesting for a documentary because I was still learning about the team. And one of the rights to Ricky Sanchez listeners told me to reach out to Spike Eskin. And he said that there was this song, and I hadn't heard it before, called Here Come the Sixers, and it was a song from the 70s, and he sent me this New York Times article, and I just thought it was a really interesting thing, because the Rockets really didn't have a song with the kind of history that Here Come the Sixers did, and then when I saw Sadie's videos, I really saw 
how the song has come full circle and how a new generation like Sadie, because she is 15, is embracing the song and putting her own spin on it. And then I started to see videos like Erica's and the guy with the cello. And I really started to see the story come together. That is awesome, Karen. And yet again, thank you again for coming on. I just want to uh, follow up that by asking, how do you how how did you plan this out when you were in the pre-production process? So I initially wanted to film this in person, but I was so excited about this topic and the end of COVID doesn't seem near. So I was like, maybe just producing something remotely again would work. And I think since there is so many videos of Sadie online and the old team, um, I thought that this would be a film that could work with remote interviews like I did a documentary this past summer with the Malamut brothers that was produced all remotely. And I really think it worked in terms of pre-production. I tried as much. I tried to do my research through mainly this New York times article that was written in 2018 about the song. And I asked Spike Eskin a few questions about people that I should reach out to. And then I just started reach out reaching out to people. I did this pretty much in less than a month. And the editing process, this was probably the fastest turnaround I had in terms of an edit. I did an assembly, which is where you just put all the clips together to try and figure out what order. And then the next edit, I had the rough cut and I sent it to my friends and my dad and they were like, this is really good. So I was really surprised how quickly it all came together. I wasn't expecting that. Can I jump in and, and just mention that when, when Karen sent out a, a message, a post on Twitter, she was looking for content and I just so happened to um, the night of uh, new year's Eve. And you probably don't even know this, Karen, so the night of New Year's Eve, the Sixers were playing the Orlando Magic. And uh, I was in my living room and we were giving them the business. So uh, we were up, I think, over 20 points. And it was New Year's Eve. I was on cloud nine. And at halftime, I said, let me put on YouTube. And I put on the Sixers song. And my wife broke out her cell phone and she started recording me doing a dance to the Here Come the Sixers song. So we recorded that. And then... I see a, a post on Twitter and Karen was looking for footage. So at first, Karen, I was like, do I really want to do this? Do I want to put it out there? And I was like, All right, why not? So I sent Karen an email of that video of me dancing to the Sixer song. And then weeks later, and Karen said she jumped right on it. It took less than a month. She put some of that footage of me dancing at the end. And that's pretty much how she got on the podcast through that connection. So Karen, she did a great job reaching out. And I think earlier, uh, before we started, she said that content being shared through social media is what gave a lot of the footage that she needed. Yes, I absolutely loved the videos that I got from fans dancing to the song. When I was envisioning the um, final product, I definitely wanted a montage showing how much fans love this song. And I'm so happy with the final result. Yeah. And you had all types of people from different walks of life. You had young people, you had older people, you had old people like me dancing and people playing instruments. So the joy that you, you were able to, you know, bring out because of, of that footage is it's evident. 
Yes, I'm. I love the little girl at the beginning. I like smile every time I see her video. She's so cute. So, Karen, you published your documentary February six. So it's been out a little over a week now. What kind of feedback have you gotten so far? The response that I've gotten really blew me away. When I posted it, I had my phone like blowing up with tweets, which I definitely wasn't expecting. I did post it right after the win against Brooklyn, which now I want to start doing more because people are on their phones. But the response I've gotten has been amazing. And I'm truly so happy that people love it. So you've been talking a lot about the fans and everything, which is great. I honestly, you know, we're we're a fan represented side ourselves, fan sided. But you have obviously are are the main head of Fanfare Media. So can you tell us a little bit about that and what is the purpose and goal of that, of your uh, uh, Fanfare? So um, Fanfare was created at a dinner that I had with my friend Allie. We, she works for the Raiders, the, the, now the Las Vegas Raiders. Um, and I obviously am very connected to basketball. And we were like, we both really love sports. And through our access, we are able to have really interesting topics. So why don't we take advantage of that in New York this semester? And that's how we got to the idea of profiling Woj because he I feel like everyone knows who Woj is but people don't really know Woj as a person so that was kind of the inspiration for that and then my friend Henry came along with us to Boston to film the rest of Woj and he was at the thing in New York too and so we eventually see Fanfare becoming a house for sports documentaries specifically because I feel like that's really our strength. But we did do a sports journalist bracket on Twitter a few weeks ago. I saw ago. that. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah. So I kind of want to do more fun like social media stuff like that too. Like I think we want to do um, the – because we didn't do journalists that were former players, but we want to do like a former player journalist um, bracket next because it got such Dude, that a... would be fun. So I do see it being like a production company for sports documentaries in the future. Yeah, and I just want to add on. I just I wanted to have a follow up question that wasn't necessarily connected, uh, not on our agenda. But you know, you talking and your friend who she you said she works for the Raiders does. Do you draw inspiration from pioneers, uh, basketball in particular? Like you have Jackie McMullen and Rachel Nichols. Do you do they like inspire you to go to where you are now and what you're aiming for? Definitely, I definitely. Jackie was in Woj Bomb. She's mm-hmm. amazing. I definitely really admire Rachel Nichols. Well, I don't want to be like a journalist. They do really inspire me, and I love to see. And actually, Lauren Rosen, who works for the Sixers from houston so we are friends so he also really inspires me and she really helped me with this project oh wow my best friend's ex-boyfriend is his her brother <laughs> oh okay that's cool not cool that they're exes but cool that they, that there's that connection obviously they're very <laughs> cordial <laughs> well that's good to know that's good to know um Awesome. And Karen, we've, we've talked about you being a student at NYU. Obviously, this isn't 
your only documentary, as we talked about, you have the Wolfsbaum documentary and several others. Um, just tell us about some of the awards you've earned and film festivals you've been a part of, stuff like that. So my favorite film experience that I've had since being at NYU was I got to go abroad like right before the pandemic in fall 2019. And I took a documentary class. I was studying abroad in Madrid and I got to take a documentary class with, and I was in a team with two other girls and we worked on um, a documentary about this cafe in Madrid called um, Lolina. And the secret behind Lolina is that people have been leaving love letters in the drawers for like 10, 15 years. So we kind of made a documentary about love and we had people interact with the letters and read them like locals at the cafe. And that was in the Jersey Shore Film Festival this past summer. I've submitted to a few other film festivals, but I think the sports docs are better housed on YouTube for people to enjoy. Mm -hmm. You probably know, Chris, about Film Freeway. Which is I where? do not actually. Oh, it's this just this like central place to submit to festivals. Well, I'll I'll need to write that down. Honestly, um, <laughs> I'm still fairly new to the to the um, you know the landscape. I I haven't really gotten into film except for the past couple of years. But uh, yeah, yeah, that's that's super cool. I, I I'm kind of jealous that you got to study abroad. I haven't really had the chance to do that. Obviously, COVID kind of threw a wrench into any of those plans uh, lately, but. That's super cool. I'm so glad we got to go right before the pandemic because I left in December of 2019. Yeah, that's great timing. <laughs> Karen, are you Karen? You're a, are you a fan? I, I'm assuming because I, I did look at some of your tweets. Uh, are you a big fan of Christopher Nolan? Uh, honestly, I liked Tenant. I saw it in the fall. Okay. I. I would say I don't have like a really picky taste when it comes to movies. Like mm -hmm. I just watched the new to all the boys I loved before on Netflix. And okay. I definitely liked it. Um, I did really like the prestige. I had surprisingly never seen it, but I love like thrillers and mysteries. So have you seen inception? Yes, that was, Oh, that's so probably good. my favorite Nolan film. That is a phenomenal movie. I can watch that movie mm -hmm. 10 times in a row. It's such, so a, funny. such a great movie. Yeah, it's a funny story. When I was I was a freshman uh, my uh, in 2011 when that came out, and I before on the podcast, I was telling Karen that I went to a small film school in Virginia Beach, and um, that was – everybody was watching. At least like half the campus was watching that every other weekend in their dorm rooms. It was crazy for like the first five months. I actually have it on DVD. But yeah, no, it was it was groundbreaking when it came to cinematography when that came out for sure. And, the, just, and the script writing was on point as well. I just rewatched it in quarantine and it definitely holds up. I really liked it. DiCaprio yeah. should have gotten an award for that for sure. Oh yeah, I agree with that, Lucas. Mm -hmm. I will say this about about both Inception and Tenet. I've seen them multiple times each, and I I feel like for both of them, I really liked it the first time around. And I was assuming since they're like puzzles, basically, that I'd like them even more the second time around, and that really wasn't the case. <laughs> I don't know why, but 
uh, they, they seem to kind of diminish for me over time. But I will say Inception is still great. Um, Dunkirk is phenomenal. And uh, my favorite Nolan is Interstellar. I mean, I, I just that's one of my favorite movies of the last decade of, of all time, really. I, I love that movie to death. But Chris don't judge a... me, but I, I, I'm a Dark Knight fan. I, I the, the that trilogy. Oh yeah, yeah. Dark Knight's good too. Yeah. Dark Knight is definitely on on the top of the list. Chris, Chris is a big movie buff, Karen. If 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 we're kind of diving into the, yeah. the film because he's always watching these obscure movies and tweeting them out at three in the morning. And, but mm-hmm. but we we love Chris's passion for movies as much as he loves basketball. Speaking of basketball, we have one more question related to um, your journey, Karen. Um, not just into film and production, but just being an NBA fan. So we know that you were living in Houston at one point, obviously, and now you are part of the Sixers community and you've already given a huge contribution with your documentary. Can you tell us what's your journey been like as an NBA fan? Um, It's definitely a unique position I'm in to kind of grow up going to games and like being a fan. I mean, obviously people grow up going to games and being a fan, but in middle school, I definitely rejected basketball. And then I came to start start to like it again when I was in high school because I kind of liked the fashion and kind of the non-basketball <laughs> things. Right. Like, I love like the walk-in. I love league fits on Instagram. It's definitely been weird with the Sixers. Like I haven't really like been able to get into them yet because – it's so weird, like doing a 360 and like getting to know the team more. But mm-hmm. it's definitely weird that Maxi is 20 and I'm 21. That's the first time it's <laughs> ever happened. Do you do you have a favorite so, sixer? So, so, Probably yeah. Maxi. I Maxi, okay. So I, I guess you you talking about the runway with Houston. I guess with having a guy like James Harden, I guess yeah, that would be very appealing for sure. And Nick Young was there at one point, right? So you, you had the Swaggy P experience. Swaggy P. I don't remember Nick Young, honestly. Uh, he wasn't there for too long, I don't think. So I don't think you missed too much. We it might have been during. That might have been during when she was in middle school. She didn't catch on yet. Yeah, I, trust me. Fair I enough. like. I used to. I really rejected basketball when I was in middle school. <laughs> Has your dad taught you any like the analytics stuff side of it? Or are you just more into like what is it just is it still kind of new for you? You're still trying to take it all in before you get into the heavy stuff like that? I know to cringe whenever I see a long two. That's definitely something that he's hammered in with me. Like whenever <laughs> I see a long two, I cringe. Well, unless it's Joel and B because he's so efficient at it. I know. I asked him, I was like like, do you like long twos when he, they go in? And he was like, yes, obviously, but. <laughs> I tell you what, Karen, when, when your dad became part of the Sixers organization, so many fans in the city, I, I dare say millions, uh, because your dad has such a, a great reputation uh, for what he's done throughout the league. We were, I think right now, guys, Chris and Lucas, I think we're still on cloud nine because mm-hmm. of what Karen's dad has done. And, I can sort of relate to you, Karen. When I uh, first applied to write for this site, I was 17. I'm in, like, suburban Georgia. I applied for all 30 teams. So I had no relation to the Sixers. Kind of just got thrown in randomly. Uh, I've obviously been with the site now for four years. I'm 21 also. 
but it, it has definitely grown on me. So hopefully they grow on you over time as well. But uh, it, it is re- really a fun and passionate fan base. I, I, I don't have a ton of familiarity with other fan bases, but I get the sense that Philly's pretty special in that regard. I just, even on just Twitter, I don't think there are too many fan bases that are quite as as dedicated to their team as this one. So I know I'm excited to like be able to go to games in person again. I feel like the energy would be amazing. So Karen, I have uh, one more quick question out of what you've seen from the Sixers wardrobe so far, who do you think is the most fashionable Sixer? I'm going to go check league fits. Hold on. The answer is Furcon. I'm just going to, the answer is for you. (laughs) It's Furcon. What about you, Uriah? Uh, I would say I don't. I would say Ben. I think Ben has a, a interesting style. I think he takes pride I, in his appearance. I like Matisse actually. So it's funny that I choose Matisse and you don't, Uriah. That's funny. <laughs> Uriah, by the way, Karen, Uriah is the biggest Matisse fan ever. Um, oh, so we cute. have talked about potential Matisse trades in the past on the podcast. And Uriah has been staunchly against it. I'm not giving up, Tease. I When I watch the Sixers and he comes in, I I just want to watch him play defense. He's that remarkable and special of a talent. I, and he's just a fun guy. He's just one of those young guys who has has his finger on the pulse of, of kind of what what young people like. And he's, just, he's a smart, nice kid. I'll put it to you like that. Well, Uriah, I don't know if you saw my article this past week, but I did write that Matisse is a jump shot away from starting. In my belief, I don't know if you believe that, oh. but in my belief, I believe that he's a jump shot away from starting. Yeah, yeah. He's a cutie, Matisse. Yeah, he's a good-looking dude. <laughs> he's a good-looking dude. Objectively, yes. <laughs> he, has, he has dimples, right? He has dimples? Yeah, the dimples, yeah. The dimples give it away. of my documentary. Oh yeah, that's right. In the beginning, Karen, when uh, when my wife watched it for the first time in documentary, and in, in the beginning there was Matisse and Furcon. When you got the Shake Milton, Shake was doing this dance, and <laughs> she started cracking up laughing, and and I, I crack up too when they when you have him in the beginning. But did you did you find the uh, the the uh, the site you were looking for? Me for the fashion. Oh, I would say my in, my gut tells me Ben Simmons. Uh, Most fast. So, so we got two votes, Ben, one vote, uh, Forkon, and one vote, Matisse. But yeah, no, Ben say, is an LA guy. So yeah, that makes sense, I guess. I will say the Kendall Jenner. Yeah. He did date. Oh gosh. I remember when that happened. We were very not happy about that as a fan base. That was, uh, we were a little concerned there for a second, I think. Yeah, the curse. We didn't look the, 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 the Jenner curse. Yeah, the Kardashian <laughs> Kardashian curse. curse. Yes. Yeah. But it didn't happen, so that's that's yeah. good for sure. So Karen, was was there that that concludes the interview with you? Was there anything else you wanted to add? Do you, you want to give us a, an idea of where people can follow you on Twitter, on social media, Instagram, all that good stuff? So my Instagram is Karen Mori with two Y's. My Twitter is Karen Mori four, and definitely go check out Fanfare our YouTube channel. We have a bunch of exciting documentaries and thank you guys. No, thank you, Karen. Thank you. We, we appreciate everything. you did. And, and again, on behalf of the millions of Sixers fans, and I've been a Sixers fan since 1983, uh, what you did with that documentary, with the song and the history and the joy that you, you've brought in bringing all those people together, including Sadie, we, we really appreciate it. Really, really mean that. 
Thank you. I'm, I feel like I'm so glad I did it because I really didn't really feel connected to the Sixers yet. And it definitely made me feel really connected to the fan base. Did you guys know about the song from the 67 championship? Because I'm obsessed. I, 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 I did not, honestly. That was something new. And I'm, I'm ashamed to admit it, but I actually, when it comes to 60s basketball, I definitely know more about the Celtics than I do about the Sixers, partially because I did my senior thesis on Bill Russell. But, um, yeah, no, that was just definitely something new that I learned for sure. So thank you. It was Pat Williams that told me about it and it did take a little bit of digging on google to find it um but it's definitely i'm glad that i had that part to like show where it was and then it became and then sadie now yeah not only did you entertain people you you educated us even even uh, an old sixers fan like me who i didn't know about that song like lucas said but but hey, here come the Sixers. I, I just hope that we can celebrate and sing that song in the NBA Finals, you know, but if we win or when we win, right? Yeah, I'm so <laughs> excited. I'm such a new fan, but I'm already excited for that moment. Oh, yeah. Well, thanks again, Karen. We, we really do appreciate it. And, and we'd really love to have you on sometime in the future if you were ever interested. Thank you. Have a safe trip. Bye. Yes. All right, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Good stuff, guys. Good stuff for sure. Yeah, you're right. You were uh, very excited. Yeah, I know you were excited about this. This, yeah, you you definitely had some passion when it, when it comes to that song for sure. Oh um, man, it's such a it's a it's a catchy song though. If you think about it, if you break it down and you listen to the to the bass line and then the piano comes in and you got the banjo. I think it's a banjo, but I yeah, I love that song. Anytime they play it in the, in the Wells Fargo Center, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, okay, let's go ahead and switch over to the games here. Yeah. So we're going to switch on uh, to some game analysis. Unfortunately, we don't have any wins to talk about this time around. The Sixers are riding a two-game losing streak, which ties their longest of the season so far. We'll start with the Portland game. That was a 118-114 loss. Went right down to the wire. Um, a couple rough whistles along the way, including one late on Tobias that gave Carmelo Anthony a chance to hit what were the go-ahead free throws. Uh, Lucas, what were your main takeaways from that game? That we should not meet Portland Trailblazers in the NBA Finals. No, but seriously, though, um, Seth obviously really struggled from that for that game. Uh, that that's that's a big you know. But Ben just did not seem to be able to really. I mean, yeah, he he did a decent job on Dame, but I mean, Dame's still going to get his. the 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 role players for like Gary Trent Jr., who I think is breaking out this season. I think that's fair to say. And then you got um, Carmelo Anthony, who turned back the clock again for the second time in a row. The the role players really beat us, and I think. Was that that's the game? No, Shake wasn't in that game, and I think that was the first game that the bench really struggled. And uh, you know, we'll definitely get into it when we talk about this second game against Phoenix because it was much more evident there. But the bench is definitely hinged on on Shake Milton, and uh, we saw them struggle at certain points in that game. And I mean, gosh, Tyrese Maxey shot two of eight from the floor that game. You know, we would expect him to come in and be able to be a spark plug, but he's seem to uh, have struggled the last two games. 
Yeah, I, I agree with all the points you made. Shake was out. They only went nine deep. That was obviously a problem. And, uh, I mean, I think my main takeaway is just that bad losses happen every now and then. Portland isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a bad loss, but they've lost two in a row to that team. I don't think it's something I'm panicking over. No, you definitely know, not. They're still the number one seed. A lot of good teams have lost strange games this season. That's kind of just the nature of of, of COVID, it seems. A lot of weird, anomalous Mm -hmm. things have happened. This was a really good Ben Simmons game. 23 points, 11 rebounds, 9 assists, 10 of 12 from the field. Played aggressive all game. Again, had Mm -hmm. some great moments defensively. Lillard ended up with 30 points, but Ben put the clamps on late. He was only 6 of 21 from the field, which is about 28%. Not a great shooting night for Dame. They let him get to the free throw line a lot. That's where he, he, he scored the bulk of his points, really. But mm-hmm. a great, great Ben Simmons game. He has really picked it up lately. I know a lot of us, myself included, were really concerned earlier in the year when Ben's numbers were down. I think the trade talks with Harden kind of exacerbated that and, and kind of amplified them more. But Ben has really turned it around, and he's playing some really solid basketball of late. I think it continued in the Phoenix game for the most part. And... This, I, I mean, if there was a positive to take away from this, it's that Ben and Joel did play extremely good basketball, and you know, it, it should turn out better more nights than mm-hmm. than not when that happens. For sure, yeah. Ben and Joel have not been the problem here on this road trip. Tobias has played nicely overall. The core three has been playing fine this road trip. That hasn't been the problem. It's been, and even Danny Green hasn't been playing terrible, especially against the Suns. You know, it's just, it just seems like, you know, the three-point shot, and you, you wrote on this, so I'll let you talk about this more, but the three-point shot was definitely not uh, emphasized in that loss against Phoenix, but I'll let you talk more on that. Yeah, so we can dive into the, the Phoenix game. I, I did write about the three-point shot. I believe it was Derek Bodner who posted the stats. I don't have them in front of me, but it's the rough equivalent of over the last 14 games. Philly has attempted only about 24 threes a game, which would be pretty uh, low in comparison to teams from recent seasons. I don't think any team in the past two or three years has has shot that low over an entire season. Obviously, that number will probably tick up for Philadelphia, but it is a bit strange because this is a team that is geared to take and make a lot of three-point shooters. There are good shooters on this roster. Joel Embiid... Uh, creates a lot of good shots just by being on the floor and sucking in the defense the way he does. There are pretty much zero three-point generators better than Ben Simmons when it comes to creating open shots for teammates. So it's it's a bit mm-hmm. weird because this roster is built to, frankly, shoot a lot of threes, and they haven't been doing that. I don't know if it's something that Doc Rivers needs to fix. I don't know if it's just a weird cold spell, if it's another anomaly in this this strange season that we mentioned earlier, but... It's something that needs to change, and I do think it's an issue that that is worth monitoring um, just in terms of volume of three-point shots. But for the Phoenix game specifically, another fairly close game, an an even better team on a tough West Coast road trip that has clearly not treated the Sixers too well. Joel Embiid scored 35 points again. That's the same number he had against Portland. Not as good a Ben game, 18 points, 6 rebounds, 4 assists. He played some great defense on Devin Booker for stretches, though Booker didn't end up getting his because he's Devin Booker. But Mm -hmm. only had 2 points in the second half, scored 16 of those early in the game. Not the best finish maybe for Ben, but what were your takeaways from that game, Lucas? 
So the go off your uh, before I get into that game, I do want to go back to that stat. Fourteen games. That seems about the stretch of which you know Matisse Thibel has been in the rotation more. And let's be honest, Matisse, as great as he is defensively, is a liability offensively. And the other thing that we had to remember during that fourteen game stretch, you know, there was a good portion of that where you know Seth Curry was either out or not playing like himself. Shake Milton has been a negative from the three-point line this year as well. We have to remember that. Mike Scott's missed uh, basically the past month while Scott has been hit or miss. At least he attempts them. Um, Tyrese Maxey's not a really threat from downtown either. So, you know, you got when your main threat is from the three-point line and Curry is either out or, you know, is coming back, you know, is not the same when he comes back from COVID, it's going to make a major impact on the three-point shooting well i i will say this that that stat necessarily isn't tied to efficiency that that's just strictly speaking in terms of like shot attempts like oh yeah of, of course yes and yes Bonner went on and... to say that last year's team attempted 31 per game that was not exactly a team like full of eager shooters they so mm-hmm. i even with curry out like this is a team that has plenty of shooting with cork Moss, with milton with green with even Joel and Tobias, who's uh, a main part of Tobias's upswing this year, has been his willingness to take those quick trigger threes. Like they just need mm-hmm. to find more ways to, not even find more ways. They're they're really creating these shots. They just have to take them. So I I, I will say I, I do again want to stress that that is definitely a concern and that's something they're mm-hmm. going to need to pick up. Yeah. So besides that, um, from the Phoenix side, they still should have taken. Tyrese Halliburton over Jalen Smith, even though I like Smith in the draft. Uh, Burden was the obvious choice, and I don't know why they didn't go that way. That being said, from the Sixers' standpoint, like you said, uh, and not a super great game from Ben, but not terrible either. Devin Booker's – yeah, actually, I saw a stat on Twitter after the game that considering that Devin Booker's like average 37 points against the Sixers in the past, they actually held him below his average in this game. So that's a – that's a positive, but, you know, overall still dominant Booker performance. The Sixers are missing Shake Milton. It goes back to Shake Milton. Shake Milton, despite his woes from the three-point line, is still averaging 14 points a game. Imagine if he was actually hitting it uh, at like 36 38% this year. He'd easily be averaging 16, 17 points a game. But he's not just, you know, he's the de facto point guard of the second unit, especially with Maxi basically out of the lineup now. And he makes that second unit go, and he's his 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 shot creating as well as his shot making at a slightly higher efficiency than Maxi and more confidence because he's not a rookie is being he's a glue guy uh, in that second unit now, and his absence is being felt, and it's going to keep keep on being felt at least until the end of this road game, though it could go longer according to s- several sources. So we'll we'll see what happens there. Yeah, I do think the bench is an issue. The Doc leaned really hard on that all-bench unit for a pretty long stretch in the first half, and it just did not mm-hmm. go well. Uh, without Shake there, you're relying a lot on Maxi, who, as you mentioned, just hasn't looked good recently. Furkan can only do so much as a ball handler. Dwight and Matisse mm-hmm. is always going to be a, a pretty uh, sticky pair on that end. Uh, this was Mike Scott's return. He didn't attempt a shot in 11 and a half minutes. Uh, I'm not too crazy about him getting playing time. Obviously, with ShakeOut, that opens up a spot. He probably won't be in the rotation once Milton comes back. But 
the bench is definitely an issue. I don't think it's a particularly strong bench yet. Even with Milton in the running, the sixth or second unit still isn't mm-hmm. great. I think that's something Maury's going to look at and look to improve. We're going to talk later in the podcast about some trade rumors that might address that. But the bench is a definite concern. Um, to, about Phoenix, I mean, that's just that's a really good team. Like that was mm-hmm. they, they are eight and zero in the bubble. I think that was kind of the start of their ascent, gave them some momentum. They signed Chris Paul, who's a top 15 player, who took OKC to the to a five-seed appearance last season. Mm-hmm. This, I mean, Phoenix has Devin Booker, Chris Paul. That's one of the best backcourts in the league. They got a bunch of shooters on that roster. DeAndre Aiden's going to get a better time. Yeah. yeah, so that's that's just a good team. And sometimes you lose to good teams on the road. A four-game West Coast trip is really hard for a team on the East Coast. And again, not to tie everything back to COVID, but this has been such a strange season. Travel schedules have been so odd. The Sixers haven't had anything remotely close to a four-game West Coast trip yet. So this is kind of their first uh, taste of that kind of stress this season. And I I wouldn't be surprised if it's going to continue with the Jazz game on Monday night because Jazz are the best best team in the world right now. Exactly. Yeah, you're – yeah. There's a good chance this ends with a one and three road trip and a three game losing streak. And frankly, I'm not going to panic over it. Like, stuff happens. It's a mm-hmm. long season. You go through ups and downs. The Sixers are going to be fine. These aren't games you have to really fret over. But I do think the bench is an issue. I do think the three point shooting volume is an issue. And this is a point we've set up, made on the podcast and on the site all season. Like, Joel Embiid is playing at an MVP level. We don't know how long this window is going to be open. And it's up to Maury and the guys in the front office to really maximize that and go out and get the players necessary to, to really give this team a shot in the playoffs. But I'm not, with these games specifically, really freaking out. No, these games, the, it's a, most East Eastern Conference contenders have rough East West Coast road trips. It's not something that even in a regular NBA season, Eastern Conference teams are looking forward to. So it's not something that the Sixers fans should worry about at this point. But as to your point, there's questions about the bench. And as you said, you don't want to waste Joel Embiid's MVP caliber season. So that leads us into our another point about, you know, how to upgrade the team. And there's been some recent rumors surrounding the team um the, probably the biggest the most notable of which is probably the 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 fact the Sacramento Kings are shopping the main I can't pronounce his first name I know his last name is Bialitsa what is his first name guys how do you pronounce his name is that Nemanja Bialitsa there we go yeah so Bialitsa is on the trade block for the Kings for one reason or another I guess they want to really try to make sure Marvin Bagley gets his shot at power forward though in my in our last podcast, you've heard me beg the Kings to play him at center because he's much more he, he's good at that because he's actually probably the only player that actually played Joel Embiid at a pretty good way this season. Like held him to a regular All Star performance versus MVP performance. Uh, that being said, um, you know Belisa is on the trade block now. For those that remember, about two summers ago. It was originally Bailita uh, uh, who was uh, originally planning to sign with the Sixers in the offseason of, I believe, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but it was the offseason of 2018. Um, but he decided to renege on that, uh, you know, handshake agreement and go to the Kings for a slightly bigger deal. 
And instead, who's the player that they signed in his place? It wasn't a uh, no. They traded for Mike's uh, Mike Muscala. That was it. So yeah. So did... basically, it was pretty much reported that he was going to sign with Philly. I mean, we wrote about it mm-hmm. on the site. Like Sixers signed oh, yeah. to Bielitsa. Then he backed out. Mm-hmm. Said he was going to go back to Europe. And then a few mm-hmm. days later, it reported a three-year deal with Sacramento. Again, I assume for more money than Philly was going to give him. Bit of a weird mm-hmm. sequence of events, but yeah. Yeah, and probably a bigger role, too, because he was a starter for the first two years of that contract. Um, that being said, Chris, what do you think about the uh, possibility of bringing Bailisa here? Um, I mean, I like it quite a bit. Like you said, he was a really solid starter last season. A just prolific three-point shooter at six foot ten. Not going to do much for you defensively, but he's a stretch big who can spend time at the four or the five. Um, I, the way I've seen it reported out of Sacramento is that they aren't playing him because they're trying to build around De'Aaron Fox. I think that's code for they're trying to rebuild a little bit and retool, and Bielitz is not part of their future because he's certainly good enough to be in the rotation there, I think. Um, former EuroLeague MVP, so the guy has plenty of talent. The Sixers need as much shooting as they can get. We've talked all season about how nice it would be to have a stretch big in the second unit who could space the floor with those Ben Simmons, Matisse Thibel groups. Bielitsa would be a great answer to that. Just just a prolific long-range shooter, can shoot from well behind the three-point line, and he's making about $7.15 million. That's a pretty easy contract to match with Mike Scott, or if they wanted to absorb him into that trade exception from the Al Horford-Danny Green trade, they could do that. So there are multiple ways to get him. He's not playing, so I don't think the price would be too high. I mean, it would probably just be a second-round pick or two, plus maybe filler, Mm -hmm. a.k.a. Scott. So a really low price, very gettable, and I I would like that deal quite a bit. I think it would be an easy deal. Though I I feel like until he has a good game for the Sixers, Sixers fans might not be so receptive because he did spur in the franchise three years ago now. Um but overall, yeah, it is a smart move. It would be a smart, easy move for the Sixers, though there are probably going to be other contenders like the Celtics, um, uh, maybe Milwaukee if they had any way they trade for them, uh, the Lakers, the the Clippers. Well, actually, no, the Clippers are pretty set up power forward with uh, Morris and um, Nicholas Batum. But uh, you know what I mean. Uh, there are other contenders that would definitely be interested. Maybe the Suns. Uh, their their starting power forward position is you know Frank Kaminsky or uh, Cameron Johnson who seem to be better fit in the second unit anyway. Um, there are some options. There are some teams that would definitely be the Sixers would not be the only te- team interested in Bialit, so that's for sure. Um, but uh, there is another pr- player that might be on the trade block. And uh, before we get there, I do want to make the note, Chris, that uh, we talked about. Uh, Devontae Graham, uh, but he just uh, last week in our last podcast, but actually he just got a major injury, so he might not be available. He had a left knee patella femoral uh, discomfort, so that's very similar. I believe that's just the exact same thing that Ben had in the bubble, so that uh, which is like almost a patella disc, uh, from what I understand, it's like almost disconnect, uh, dis. What's the word I'm looking for? Displacement of the patella, but then it goes back into place. It's not a permanent uh, dislocation. 
So that's not good for Graham, obviously. But there is another player that is a that's been a that's been kind of like possibly a possibility, and that's John Collins. So what what do you think about John Collins being possible target for the Sixers? Um, I mean, I'm a huge fan of Collins. He's been a 2010 guy for a few seasons now. A great lob catcher, very versatile offensively. I think his ability to face up and score from the perimeter is really underrated. Has improved defensively since he came into the league. He's going to score a lot of points, get a lot of rebounds, block some shots. Really great player. I, I don't think he's a fit in Philadelphia. I really don't think they need anyone like him. I don't know who they would trade for him. I think other teams would be, frankly, willing to give up a lot more than Philly would. Um, like, is he a better player than Danny Green? Yes, but the offensive fit and defensive fit just isn't great. We've seen that Tobias is better as a quote-unquote four than a three. That mm-hmm. just gets a little messy. He can space the floor. He's not. He's not... He would be better than Al Horford if we're talking about jumbo size lineups, but I think the price would be a bit too high for a guy who doesn't really solve any of Philadelphia's core issues. He doesn't fix the shot creation problems late in games. He's not going to improve the defense in a significant way. He might even like make it regress if he were forced into 30-something minutes a game. So I don't think he's fit in Philly. I think a lot of other fringe contenders or young teams would be really smart to make an offer mm-hmm. but uh, i don't think philly's the the place he's going to end up so yeah no i'm gonna i'm gonna agree and just some backstory on collins collins yes like Chris said is a 28 and 10 guy but uh his fit with the hawks just doesn't seem possible because they traded for clint capella last year who is an interior only I player disagree. which I, 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 I well i don't think great. well Okay, well let's let's debate this for a second here. Um, the 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 issue is is that they don't want to pay him because they just paid a lot of guys in free agency and they don't think that he's a piece that, in the long term, makes sense next to Capella and uh, Trey Young as a trio. That's from what I understand from you yeah. Know, reading they they don't want to pay him, and that's understandable. He he's probably going to make more money than he might deserve, but. I don't. I, I mean, he's always had great chemistry with Trey Young. I think he's a more than capable shooter who can space the floor next to Capella when they share the court. He can play small ball five next to Gallinari when they stagger those groups. Mm-hmm. So I really don't think the fit's an issue. Um, but I, I do think the contract situation is an issue, and that's another reason why Philadelphia probably just wants to stay away. Yeah, that's for sure. I honestly, if I if I could think of an ideal team that he would fit on, it would be the would actually be the Dallas Mavericks because they need somebody like a lob big like big man lob threat. And I, you know, we he's a big man, but he's only like six eight six nine, I believe. He's not super big, but he you know he's definitely like he he can definitely hold his own in the paint. So I think he would be a nice fit with you know you have Porzingis at the five, or you can have him guard five. It doesn't matter, but like he can space the floor. He's a solid, you know, lob threat, which would be something that that Luka Doncic currently doesn't have in Dallas. So, and I believe the Dallas, you know, they have enough attractive, you know, role players that would fit better, that would fit nicely with that core group that Atlanta has. Uh, so, I I think the Mavericks would be a much better destination than the Sixers for all the reasons that you said about the Sixers. It just doesn't make sense. Um in terms of overall 
um, you know, fit contract extension. Um, I think the Sixers, mm-hmm. if they if they go after a guy, he either needs to be another pure point guard or preferably at this point uh, a, a wing or power forward player that can stretch the floor or somebody that can create their own shot. Um, you know, that's that's what the Sixers need. And John Collins isn't that. And they don't need what he brings because they have enough big men that do what he does on the current roster. But yeah, I like him on the Ma- I I would like to see him on the Mavericks the most. Is there any other players that that you can think of Chris that we could mention about uh, uh players that are available? No, I mean, I think we covered a, a pretty strong list on last week's podcast, so or the yeah, midweek the Thursday podcast. So I I would just recommend that people check that one out. Yeah, I keep on saying last week, but I mean midweek. It's gonna get. It's gonna take us a minute to get used to that, guys. Sorry about that. Um, you're right. Did you want to add any other players that you've heard on the? I know Drummond's a possible player, but obviously that's not gonna happen. Um, no, I, I I think you guys have covered that in in previous episodes. Uh, I think it's time we can move on to the social media question of the week. Mm-hmm. All yeah. right. So the question of the week, ladies and gentlemen, was how would you describe Ben Simmons defense? Now, this was posted the Saturday before the Phoenix game, before we gave up 36 points or whatever many points that Devin Booker had. Uh, but a lot of people really chimed in on this. Let's go to Twitter first. So RK or at RK 5527 I don't it sounds like he's trying to give away his phone number. But anyway, so this follower said on Twitter, the best perimeter defender in the league. And a lot of people have been echoing that same sentiment. If we go over to Facebook, there's a Facebook group called the Sixers Nation. And I'll just read this thread real quick. Freddie Mellor said in all caps, elite. Tim Starr said, definitely lockdown. Nwili Sai said, elite. Mike Pask said inconsistently good. Not really sure where he was going with that, what? but I, I don't know. That's what he put. Maybe he just wants attention. Irvin Johnson, not to be mistaken with Magic Johnson, but Irvin Johnson said tenacious. Vernon Montague said very good. Kevin Schrader said superb. So let's go with uh, Chris. How would you describe Ben Simmons' defense? I mean, I agree with most of those assessments um but yeah i mean elite lockdown probably the best perimeter defender in the league quite possibly one of the most versatile can guard one through four very comfortably maybe even one through five in certain matchups and there's not there aren't very many guys i would want more in terms of perimeter one-on-one defense in the playoffs uh i can't think of many i mean Kawhi is up there but Jimmy Butler, pretty much Jimmy, but uh, I think Ben's pretty close to the top, if not at the top of that list. He's a great off-ball defender too. Creates a lot of havoc in passing lanes, and he's just really special on that end. He's definitely in the defensive player of the year conversation. Uh, I know Channing, uh, it was Channing Fry who said, you know, Ben is his pick. I, I tend to agree. There are other names in that conversation. You know, Rudy Gobert. Giannis, Miles Turner, Joel, Joel, a lot of guys that are normally in that combo are in it again. But I think Ben has a real case, and it really it depends on what you value most. A lot of 
there's a lot of value in having a good rim protector, and that's why those players in that archetype tend to get the award. Um, you know, Gobert and Giannis are great examples of that, but Ben Ben is special, and he does things that not many can do. So I definitely I would I would say the one word, you know, summation of that is elite, plain and simple. I would say long, because we've seen some pretty good perimeter defenders in the past, but I don't think I wouldn't consider Giannis a perimeter defender because he actually shies away from the best assignment most nights. Okay, Kawhi's pretty no, no, long. No, no. Time out, time out. I, yeah, I yeah, no, no. People, he does not shy away from it. Just because he's not assigned to guard LeBron doesn't mean he's shying away from it. That's just not his skill set. That's like saying Rudy Gobert doesn't check Damian Lillard. In no, 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 no. They, they use him as a as as a a free safety defender. Yeah, That's he's why a free he gets safety. All... He's a roamer. He's a, a rim protector. That's just his role. That doesn't mean he's shying away from the hard matchups. That's just not how. I'm just saying, like, if you're a superstar MVP, you ask to guard the team's other team's best player. That's what Kobe did. That's what LeBron does. That's what he's Kawhi not, does. He doesn't play the same position. He's a big man. Those are wings. It's different. Yeah, but he's versatile enough to guard those wings, and I think that's, that's fair to say. That's not the best use of Milwaukee's personnel because they have Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday. Why would you so put? I'm not, I'm, it's just not. So, the, I don't think that's a fair characterization characterization of his skill set. I, I just want okay. to point that. Okay, fair enough. But in so. side note, I honestly hope that the Bucks and the and the Nets match up in the playoffs because. I honestly believe the Bucks have the personnel to guard all three of those guys very well. You got somebody for Kyrie, you got somebody for Harden, and you got somebody for uh, Kevin Durant and Giannis, Drew Holiday, and Chris Middleton. They're all very good, if at least above average, if not very good defenders. Uh, Giannis, obviously. Um, and Drew, obviously. And I'm Chris Middleton. Say it again. I don't think Giannis is checking KD in that matchup. I mean, well, who would he be matching? I mean, KD plays power forward for the team half the time. He's probably guarding either Jeff Green or DJ, depending on how they set it up. If the Nets go small, that that could get tricky. But you put Middleton on Durant, you put DiVincenzo on Kyrie, probably, and you have Drew Checkhard. I think that's probably how they would do it. Nah, I would put I would put Giannis on KD easily. I would I would do that in a second if I that it, that's just me. I just think Giannis is probably one of the few players that could actually bother Durant's jumper because they're both like freakishly long. That being said, um, yeah, no, I would say that Ben's defense is like you don't see very many perimeter defenders outside of uh, Kawhi that are quite as long and lengthy as Ben and. Like besides Kawhi, I can't think of a player in the last like fifteen years that have been that's been that long and that lengthy and that good. Maybe Tayshawn Prince, but I wouldn't put Prince on that same level as Kawhi and Ben. Because that's what I you're think. LeBron about. was really good in his prime when he was locked in, but you're right, the list isn't very long. Yeah, so I would say long. That's what I think of Ben's defense is long because he just swallows up so many perimeter players. The only perimeter player that, besides Devin Booker, that I really saw give Ben problems is De'Aaron Fox. But the Sixers have a counter to that. And De'Aaron Fox is literally probably the fastest guard in the NBA. So can't really blame Ben on that. And We have somebody in Matisse that actually could guard Fox. So 
Yeah. So, like I said, I just think of length, and that length bothers people. It bothers people when they pass the ball. It bothers them when they try to get around him, or uh, you know, go above him. That's what I think of Ben's defense. Just length. Yeah, I, I hear what Chris said. Elite. A lot of people have been throwing that word around, and, and rightfully so. And in length, I agree with you uh, physically in terms of what he brings to the defense. I'm going to give a different perspective in that everyone on social media that chimed in on this question, they were looking at it from a performance standpoint, which is very obvious, makes sense. But I'm going to come from a more, I guess, holistic, maybe team uh, description. And I'm going to say I would describe Ben Simmons' defense as important because, as we know, once the playoffs come around, the Sixers are going to need someone to willingly, effectively take on the responsibility of guarding the other team's best player, whether it's Kevin Durant or Giannis or whoever from the East. He His role is going to be so important, and because he's so, I guess, he's found his niche in terms of what he's good at and he's willing to do it, I think that is going to be a very important aspect of the Sixers' success. And we saw what happened when he was injured against Boston last year. The Sixers missed him tremendously. So I'm going to say important. Ben Simmons' defense is important. Yeah, no, I definitely agree, though. Side note, I believe Joel will be guarding Giannis, not Ben, because Ben does struggle against Giannis in the post a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, He called him a baby. He's a baby. Not cool. If, if yeah, no, yeah, no, it's, it's de- it, yeah, no. Yeah, no. I definitely believe that's a Joel and B matchup, and you live with Brooke Lopez posting up Tobias Harris. Uh, but yeah, no, like you're absolutely right. He his his importance, his defense important defensive importance to this team, it cannot be understated. We saw in the game that he missed against. It was against the West Coast team. It was against the Portland Trailblazers, the first game. There was no way that Gary Trent Jr. and Carmelo Anthony with like seven or eight play other, you know, six or seven other players should have beaten the Sixers. Like that should not have happened against a fully healthy Sixers team minus Ben Simmons. But those guys, like his defense, he he is the anchor. Like Joel, Chris has said it so many times, and Chris is absolutely right. Joel Embiid is his own defensive scheme. But I think this year it's fair to say that Ben Simmons has anchored this defense for sure. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Sixer Sense podcast. We here want to extend our, our great appreciation and thanks to Karen Mori for coming on the show this week. I, I really appreciated her insight, and I know we all did too. And to all our listeners, we just, again, appreciate you all so much for giving us the time of week to talk basketball. You may or may not have listened to our midweek episode that came out on Thursday. That is going to be a regular thing moving forward for two podcasts a week instead of one. We are very excited about that. We hope you are going to tune in twice a week now. It would mean a great deal to us. And if you can, leave us a review. Give us a five-star rating on iTunes, Google Play, wherever you are listening. And we will be back on Thursday to talk more Sixers basketball. So we'll see you then.